listener production. Australia Today's Morning Agenda with Natasha Belling. Welcome to another edition of the Summer Series of Morning Agenda, where we take a look at the major stories that have set the agenda in 2022 in more detail. Today, we're speaking with Hunter Johnson, the CEO of The Man Cave, an organisation that's working with young boys in schools talking about mental health, toxic masculinity and the importance of emotional intelligence. In a world that is very confusing and challenging for our teenagers, including young men, students say Hunter and his team's work saves and changes lives. Yesterday, we spoke with Melinda about the dangers of online violence and porn, a major issue Hunter also sees that dramatically distorts what many young men see as a healthy and normal relationship. Hunter says there is hope and says we can all make a major difference by having open, healthy discussions about how challenging it is to try and navigate the online modern world. And Hunter joins us now. Hunter, thanks so much for joining us. Tell us about how the Man Cave came about. Sure. So it really starts with my own lived experience. I just grew up seeing some of the most important men in my life, men who have you know raised me and shaped me into the man I am today, go through their own mental illness struggles. And that played out in depression, anxiety, and even suicide at times. And then particularly as I got older, uh, through my teenage years, I started to hear the stories of women in my life, you know, women who have literally raised me into the man I am today and the impact of men's mental illness on those women. And as I grew up, I started to study business and psychology and it just didn't make sense to me that the data was also backing up my lived experience, which was we know that now one in five young people is likely to experience mental illness before they're 18. Suicide is the leading cause of death for young men. So not drink driving, not overdosing on drugs, but actually themselves. And on the other side, of it, we know more than one woman every week is murdered at the hands of intimate male family violence. And it didn't make sense to me that the systems we have to deal with, whether it is mental illness, whether it is gender equality or family violence, we geared around crisis management. So we wait till something goes wrong and we throw money at the symptom. My whole belief was why don't we go preventative? Why don't we go early intervention? And also let's take a positive strengths-based approach to working with young men. And that's what we did. Uh, about eight years ago, we started running the Man Cave, which effectively worked with teenage boys who are aged 12 to 16, creating environments where they can feel psychologically safe, take off the mask they're wearing, open up, start to develop some relationship skills with themselves, with others, and ultimately learn how to best serve their communities. So Hunter, for you on the ground, what are you seeing with young men today? Are they confused? Do they feel lost? Why are we seeing, you know, so many young men today struggling? And you make an excellent point. All the money we throw into road safety and suicide is taking so many lives today. I think we're at a real inflection point for masculinity. And we see that from having now work with about 35,000 young men across the country. We see that these boys are desperate for a positive story around what it means to be a man. I think we've just come from, or still coming out of, I should say, the Me Too movement. We've had world leaders like Donald Trump. We've had, you know, the most recent internet superstar that's captured the attention of young men, Andrew Tate. And we're really seeing that young men are wanting a confident, positive expression of what masculinity is and unfortunately because there isn't that many in the modern context right now um, they're, they're latching on to some pretty outdated belief systems or influences 
who are able to continually capture their attention and slowly start to radicalize what they believe in. And so what we know, and this is our whole model using the 35 very diverse intersectional facilitators we have, they act as that cooler, relatable, charismatic role model that can walk into a room of teenage boys who will test you, they can sniff fear out a mile away, but if you earn their trust and their respect, they will absolutely open up to you. So what we really see is they want role modeling, they want mentorship, but it, they're just waiting for the right people to walk into their spaces. Hunter, you make a great point there because I think that's what is missing in this conversation about what it means to be a great man and a great dad and a great brother and a great son is we don't seem to have these great, strong male voices in the conversation right now. There is a lot of male bashing going on and then there's this dangerous vacuum that we see someone like Andrew Tate, who I've seen one of uh, your students have commented, almost it's the Trump for teenagers, we see these really dangerous, toxic men become role models. That's right. And what really, we recently interviewed 550 young men about their experience with Andrew Tate, who, if anyone who's listening isn't familiar with him, he basically got Googled or searched more times than Kim Kardashian and Kanye West. He's exploded all over respective social media platforms and then been deplatformed because of uh, how controversial he's been. And what's really interesting is of those 550 young men, about half of them don't actually look up to them, look up to him, and only a quarter do. About a quarter just feel neutral. But most of these young men look at his content because they relate to his drive and his mindset, but they actually disagree with his views around toxic masculinity. Um, but what they find is his content is entertaining. And so they slowly, as they're starting to watch more, and we need to keep it in consideration, this is the first generation that's really been raised by the internet. And what I mean by that is they've been raised by algorithms. And as we know, we have the smartest minds in the world working on hijacking our attention. And we give you know, these attention devices, aka our phones and iPads, to young developing minds who can't control you know, the serotonin and dopamine that's being released, hence the addictions they're now forming. We're giving these to young men and they're slowly being fed more radicalised content. And what we're starting to see is these young men, because there's been such a narrative post the Me Too movement, which absolutely was important, it needed to happen, we're now starting to see these young men push back and going, well, why am I feeling so toxic? Well, my life's been really hard to me. I was born into the system. I didn't choose it. And so we're now starting to see a bit of friction occur and that's why we're seeing a gap be created where men like Andrew Tate are able to show a level of confidence and conviction, whether right or wrong, that provides a model for these young men to, to push back and feel somewhat of a belonging, but also uh, an inspiration in, inside of what it means to be a man. And that's quite worrying uh, that he is filling that gap. Hunter, you make a great point. It's the first generation raised by algorithms. And I've been concerned for many years, like a lot of other experts have, but their voices have been ignored about what a whole generation of young children have been exposed to online, especially pornography and what they think is normal, that, uh, you know, normal, respectful, consentful relationships are almost forgotten because of what they're being exposed to. How do we ensure that we raise a great generation of young men? Because my heart breaks for them because they're seen as being toxic right now and that's what you've seen firsthand. Yeah, it's, it is getting to this point where it, it's really worrying. And I think, you know, I've, I've grown up with a very strong feminist mother, you know, who fought very hard for her rights. And now we're at this interesting point in the arc of equality that we're going, okay, 
we need to, yes, it's really important in any movement to have, you know, the activists that are angry and tearing things down, but also we need to have people who understand the language, speak and all the inner worlds or the outer worlds of the, the core target that we're trying to support. And I really think that's what Man Cave is able to do. We know the language, we understand youth culture, we know what they respect and they respond to, and we can be that role model for these young I think that's what's made our program so effective in the high schools across the country is because we're not coming in trying to be politically correct and say we're super woke or virtue signaling, but we're creating spaces for the messy, often at times politically incorrect conversations where these boys can learn. They can understand what it means to be born into a thing called the patriarchy, or they can understand what it's like to uh, ask questions really openly around their addictions to things like pornography because they've never had an environment where they felt safe enough to do this. And as we know, when we're a teenager, we're told not to do something. That's pretty much the green light that you want to go and do it. And and that's my concern with, you know, particularly with pornography. Was they say that the, you know, the average age is getting down at like 11 years old. And we work with boys who, you know, are addicted to it. Mm. And when it comes to being intimate with another partner, they actually can't perform because they're so dependent on, the incredible stimulation they're getting from the smorgasbord board of options on the internet. And, uh, you know, I think it's an absolute crime, the lack of accountability that pornography organisations um, have over the, the public health of people, but also, you know, big tech as well. And, 100%. you know, the, you know the, the social media um, giants, it is just wild to me that, that they're able to almost seduce us enough with pleasure that we forget that, um, you know, this is having a major long-term impact on on humanity. This has been really put into the spotlight, uh, especially this year, Hunter, with all of those messages from boys that were, I guess, uh, highlighted by a journalist into this secret chat room. I won't go into the details, but they were horrific messages, homophobic, also um, racist, anti-Semitic. Were you surprised by how vile and confronting those messages were? Or do you think it highlights we have a real problem today? I wasn't surprised. Um, it did shock me, though, when I read the, the extent of it. But I also know that, that what is happening there happens outside of just private school environments. I think particularly in what we've seen in private school environments, there is a sense of entitlement, but also the, the culture of banter is around one-upmanship. So someone will say one thing, the other person will take it to the next extreme just to get a reaction out of the other people. And that's where it really starts to get toxic. You know, we use the word toxic. That, for me, is toxic. And we know that behaviour like that spreads, just like good behaviour spreads. Um, So I think, you know, we're just at this point where young people have spent the last two and a half years in their bedrooms on devices and there has been a real lack of social and emotional development over the last two years. We particularly are seeing this play out with the young men who we know are already cognitively um, in their developmental stages more behind their female um, colleagues. Um, and now as they're entering back into school, we're seeing young men's behaviour increasingly become more disruptive and disrespectful to their female peers or their non-binary peers, but particularly to their female teachers. And it does take a certain energy to walk into a room of boys and be able to hold that space because there is still some very old patterning, whether you call it social conditioning or biology, around um, group behaviour and pack mentality. And it it can get very tribal. So 
my my solution, which I've said for the last eight years, is we need to invest preventative and we need to go positive when working with these boys. And I'm really inspired by a conversation, which is what is a positive future state for masculinity that not just men can be inspired by, but women and non-binary people can be inspired by too. So what is the future then, Hunter? Because I, I, congratulations on the fact of looking at preventative, because I agree with you 100%. We need to get in there and put the funds in to prevent this situation rather than all of the massive social and economic consequences years later. What do you say to young students in the classroom? Well, really, we, um, we often don't say that much. We're one of the, you know, the epidemiology of the word education, educator is actually to draw out. And if we look at you know, the traditional school system, it's very much rote learn information and regurgitate it back. But there is so much wisdom and insight already in the genius of these young people. And so our role really is to just create the space where they feel psychologically safe, often for the very first time in their life. And we can have honest conversations with them where they get to decide what's the culture that they want to exist in. How do they want to feel when they walk into their classroom or their school environment? How do they want to behave around each other when they're in small groups, whether they're friends or not? Because they actually do have agency over this, but no one's really taught them that. And they've just been on autopilot trying to survive the social social hierarchy that is high school. And and ultimately for, for us, where we do our best work is we support them to understand what are their values, what are their character strengths, what's their purpose in life, and ultimately what's their legacy? What do they want to contribute? And it doesn't have to be this big polished answer with this PowerPoint presentation, but it really just gives them a sense that their inner fire or their inner light is starting to be lit and they can move through the world knowing that they can be themselves. And I think that's really what we're at this kind of precipice with masculinity is, you know, how do we create, uh, I guess, take the shackles off Mm -hmm. and create more range for these men that, you know, they're not worried that they're going to be bullied or uh, ostracized if they display some type of feminine behaviour, you know, but actually that's gaining more of, of, of who they are. Hunter, I noticed that uh, one of your Man Cave workshops was with uh, Frankston High School and a year nine boy had commented when you came in and spoke with them and listened to them. He said, quote, thanks for the lesson, man. It really showed me what it means and feels like to be a man. But that person had been anonymously voted as the school's biggest bully. It was a really special moment. It was one of our very first workshops that we ever ran um, back, geez, 2014, I think. And Frankston, for, for those listening, you know, can be a really so low socioeconomic area where there's um, a lot of, you know, intersectional backgrounds at play. And uh, I remember <laughs> the teachers told us, uh, if he gives you any any trouble, any drama, just send him out. And um, we we're running a visualisation exercise where the boys got to slow down and start to visualise them coming home from school and opening the door and walking in and, and they eventually saw their future self who looked, you know, exactly what they wished their future looked like. And they got to ask their future self, you know, how did you get there? What did you do? What decisions did you make? And as we are running this session, I noticed uh, this boy start to, um, start to have some twitches out of the corner of my eye and I, I went and sat next to him and he opened his eyes to me and said, oh, Matt, I just feel really unsafe when I close my eyes because I come from a home environment where it's not safe. And I just said, no worries, man. I just really respect you telling me that and let's just sit here together. And as we finished the exercise and we went on through the day, just that little moment of, 
giving him that pocket of psychological safety, he started to really step up and be the hero of the day. And as we went to walk out, um, closed the session off really powerfully, the school principal walked in and was like, what have you done with my school? You know, I've never mm. seen the, the hallways lit up like this. I've never seen the boys like this. And then she looked down and picked up this post-it note, which read exactly what you just read out. And it was from him. And yeah, he, he basically wrote a note just to say thanks for showing and what it looks like and feels like to be a good man. And, um, you know, I, I often joke that we were driving down the, the highway and my, uh, my best mate's old rundown car, which I think had one CD player that could play anything. It was jammed. It was Bon Jovi living on a prayer. <laughs> and, um, you know, that was an iconic moment. And I uh, still have that post-it note, you know, all these years later. Hunter, thank you for all that you're doing in this really important space. If there's someone listening to this episode today that's really struggling, what would you say to them about what makes, you know, not just a good man, but a good person in our society today? Yeah, first thing I would say is you're not alone. You know, I think struggle is a really important part of the human experience. And I know definitely in my journey, the moments where I've struggled or felt the most alone is where I've learnt the most about myself. Mm. And um, yeah, I think use these moments as teachable moments, you know, really spend the time with yourself and treat yourself well. Um, notice if, you know, you're, you're, you're finding ways to kind of avoid yourself and distract yourself and, and be kind in that because, yeah, yeah, our, our mind and our body is very good at trying to protect us, but often it, it does it in ways that uh, might not that, be that healthy over the long term. And then secondly, I would just, um, you know, the internet, We although we talked, it can have its downside, the internet can be an extraordinary tool. And so I think finding any, you know, ways for you to find community groups online, you know, there are men's groups out there, there are other chat groups out there, um, peer support groups out there, um, just have a search around. And then ultimately, if you are fortunate to have people in your life that you really trust, I would begin the journey of, of starting to, to share where you're at with them. And of course, if it's, you know, where you're at is in a really tough position, seek professional help as always. There's amazing resources online, but, you know, our professionals are first class in this country. And, um, you know, when it comes to masculinity, I think we're at this really exciting time where we're rewriting the script of what's required for a modern man to be able to move through the world and still keep, you know, his masculinity and still be strong and, you know, have good values, good character, but ultimately as well at the same time, be there to serve um, and support our families and our communities too. So incredibly well said. Hunter, where can people go to find out more information about your wonderful work with The Man Cave? So we uh, have two businesses now. One is The Man Cave, which is www.themancave.life. That's L-I-F-E. And then the other business which we've created is called Stuff. S-T-U-F-F, which is www.websiteofstuff.com. And Stuff is our men's grooming brand that funds our charity, Man Cave. So Stuff is basically deodorants, moisturizers, face wash, um, body wash, shampoo. And the whole idea behind Stuff is to really challenge the outdated misogynistic marketing that is usually targeted at young men. Um, and, you know, I think we probably can remember the old Lynx Africa ads. Of, I'm, know, I'm old enough to remember Brute. <laughs> Brute, exactly, <laughs> right? You know, the Old Spice. Um, Who doesn't love Old Spice? Exactly. So, you know, our whole belief is like, what's the modern version of this? And so, you know, stuff is now, it's sold through Woolies. Um, we've just brought on the 
epic Ian Thorpe to be uh, an, an investor and an ambassador. A few Australian Wallabies have also got involved, former Wallaby captains. And so, yeah, really simple way that if anybody did want to support what we were doing, it's actually through purchasing stuff, whether on through our website or, or through Woolies. Hunter, thank you so much for joining us and we really appreciate your thoughts, but also thank you for everything that you're doing in this really, really important space. Thank you for the opportunity, Natasha. Listener.